Welcome to episode three of Georgia HFMA's podcast series. 2022 is going to be the year healthcare systems and medical groups put an extra emphasis in addressing their workforce from a retention and recruitment perspective. However, one initiative that's here to stay and will be ramping up even more so this year is artificial intelligence and robotic process automation. We're very lucky to have two insanely talented individuals help us better understand the world of AI and RPA. And special thanks to Valerie Barkoff for hosting this special episode with a very special guest. I can't wait for you all to meet. Tune in for more on this great treat of an episode. Enjoy. Welcome to all our Georgia HFMA podcast listeners today. My name is Valerie Barkoff. I am a committee member for the Education Committee for Georgia HFMA. I lead the healthcare advisory practice for Wyndham Brannon, but I'm also co-founder of our automation company, Shore Health. And I have the pleasure of talking today to Dr. Chow from Automation Anywhere. So Dr. Chow, would you mind introducing yourself real quick? Thank you, Valerie. It's great to be here. I'm a physician based in the San Francisco Bay Area. I spent over 30 years at Kaiser Permanente, the last eight years as a National Director of Innovation and Advanced Technology, where I had the opportunity to evaluate over 2,000 health IT startups, a lot of startups, and we ran a huge uh, innovation program. In 2014, I left to join a Washington, D.C. healthcare IT firm as the Chief Innovation Officer, where I work with the VA and DOD to introduce emerging technologies. And then after that, I spent two and a half years at Amgen, a biotech company, as the lead for digital medicine. We looked at virtual clinical trials, wearable sensors, analytics, digital biomarkers, all the things that are hitting the news today. Two years ago, I decided to join Automation Anywhere to help launch and guide the healthcare industry vertical because I, I think it's about time that medicine became user-friendly for technologists and users. So I think that was a great draw for, for joining Automation Anywhere. I think we're having an effect and impact, so very glad to be here. One of the main reasons we wanted to have a podcast is I've been on the Georgia HFMA Education Committee for several years now, and always looking to bring some really best of breed ideas. And I personally became interested in automation around 2016 in the revenue cycle. Um, you know, as a, a trained consultant, I always tell people there was, you know, people, process, and technology, and we would go in and we'd pull one of those three levers, if not all three, to help transform a revenue cycle. And in 2016 is when I really became introduced to RPA and artificial intelligence, and I tell everybody it's a fourth lever. So, you know, I wanted to start out, I have a series of questions for you, Dr. Chow, and your opinion, because you've been doing this for a very long time. But why do you think revenue cycle leaders have been hesitant up until this point to really move forward with true automation? From my perspective, you know, we're calling 2022 the year of automation in the revenue cycle. And up till now, we've really just seen some cursory use of, say, screen scraping technology, uh, a little bit of automation in the background, relying heavily on vendors to do that automation. What do you think has been the reluctance of people to jump into the automation swimming pool? I think in my experience, it's been in a couple of areas and some of it not specific to automation, but to innovation in general in healthcare. I think the first factor is probably investment what would the investment require in financial, human, IT, and other resources? And here, the concern 
can be addressed, and we've done it successfully, by helping people to develop a detailed conservative framework for building the business case. And often when you start with innovation like automation, you need to build a business case so the executives can, can understand what it means to, in terms of costs, benefits, timeline, and so forth. Um, I think the second risk, especially in healthcare, is risk. How much risk and potential disruption would automation, like any new technology, pose? Uh, when I was at Kaiser in innovation, we saw over 2,000 new technologies. And that was one of the first questions. You know, what is the risk, especially for a large organization, particularly in organizations without much experience in innovation? Mm -hmm. I think that is a risk. Again, I think Automation Network believes in structured step-by-step data-driven implementation, kind of like evidence-based medicine data-driven implementation for technology and medicine, and governance based on the proven success of others. And there are a lot of um, examples in healthcare where this has been very successful. And sometimes you can't do that because of a situation, but um, we try to stick to a successful formula if you can. I think the third area is probably HIPAA and regulatory compliance. And this can be addressed through detailed analysis of the architecture. I think we're the only, still the only automation vendor that took the effort and time to achieve high trust certification, which is the number one means of ensuring HIPAA compliance in healthcare. Uh, number four would be interoperability, the ability to access and transfer data between systems. We work with a lot of major systems like um, Salesforce, Oracle, uh, PeopleSoft, SAP, and so on, and even HR vendors like Epic to take advantage of available interfaces and APIs even to achieve data transfer. I think this has been a stumbling block for healthcare for a long, long time. So there's naturally some, uh, I would say skepticism mm -hmm. when we say we can transfer data between systems. But what's really been exciting is the new HL7 Fire APIs that have come out in the last two years uh, because of the 21st Century Cures Act. That's gonna grow. And right now they're kind of uh, embryonic. They They, cannot be the full solution for a lot of use cases, but it's exciting. I think they're going to start expanding and I'm looking forward to a future that a lot of people in healthcare try to build. And that is a future where the data in healthcare is liquid. You can send it between systems without worrying about all kinds of issues. I think the last area perhaps is job loss. That's another concern, especially for executive leaders. Um, it's interesting, I remember coming through, uh, talk about how old I am, <laughs> I remember going through the internet revolution, and mm -hmm. it was it was the same kind of issue, uh, and I think it'll be true for automation as well. A lot of skeptics, of pundits, said that the internet will, will destroy jobs, right. and what actually happened was it, it generated five times as many jobs as before, but there were different jobs. Mm -hmm. So likewise, I think automation will generate new kinds of jobs that are more meaningful and more productive. So it's it's part of what people are calling industry 4.0. And I think that part of the automation background behind the automation decision is actually what do you do with your people? Right. You know, what are they going to do if they're part of the jobs are automated? And I think that takes a lot of wisdom, but it also takes strategic thinking. And um, the potential is huge to build a new kind of healthcare organization. So, I, I mean, I have my own personal opinions about why I'm seeing so much activity with revenue cycle organizations mm -hmm. wanting to jump into automation. Mm -hmm. But what do you think has changed that's making hospitals mm -hmm. and providers all of a sudden very interested in going on this automation journey? It's interesting, um, Valerie. I think we've seen in the last two years 
that revenue cycle leaders have been some of the fastest adopters of automation in healthcare. And we've seen a dramatic and sizable increase in use cases related to the revenue cycle, such as patient registration, insurance verification, uh, prior authorization, coding, billing, denials management, EOB and payment posting, and many other areas. And so you can ask the question, why? I think uh, unique to healthcare, the revenue cycle process, which is mission critical, especially during COVID, has dozens of steps and hundreds of processes that are often manual, repetitive, and very ripe for automation. And I think COVID especially brought this out. Most hospitals have very small operating margins and IT budgets. So the reason there is now greater openness to automation is that automation platforms produce both short-term and long-term gains that are concrete, understandable. That's really important because there are, for instance, there are a lot of AI startups that are very hard to understand. So this uh, this starting with automation is concrete, it's understandable and measurable. I think two other uh, confounding factors, two other contributing factors are the shortage of healthcare resources, shortage of staff. So you want the staff that you have to be doing the highest value work they can be doing. And then the fact that COVID has prompted digital transformation, you know, whatever that means to people. I think an automation platform is now being seen increasingly as a not just as an add-on, but as a fundamental underpinning uh, infrastructure technology for that transformation. So that's very exciting. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think we've finally reached um, the point in our evolution in, in revenue cycle that we understand we don't have a choice but to automate anymore. I mean, to your point, I think the great resignation and the changing workforce this is a risk mitigation strategy in my mind. And then your point about we already have skinny margins. And if we are going to see salaries increase, you know, we really can't afford not to look at how can we become more efficient and redeploy those now more expensive resources to more value added activities. Mm -hmm. So that being said, in your opinion, what do you think are some of the best use cases for revenue cycle leaders to start with when they're going down this journey? Where do you see the most value? You know, we grade things based on impact of the organization and ease of implementation. What is your opinion on where we see the best use cases? I think uh, what you mentioned is really important. There are certain fundamental criteria, you know, for processes that are good candidates for the initial uh, couple of automations. Because the initial couple of automations is a, a learning opportunity. And so you don't want to learn on a high risk process. You want to learn on a low risk process that has immediate return. So you can see what automation can do, what it can't do. But I think in the revenue cycle area, we've seen a variety. I would say it's not been consistently one area. It's been a variety of different areas depending on the organization. It's interesting, some organizations, for instance, um, do very well in denials management. You know, average is about 10% denials. Uh, there was actually one organization that told me they, their denial rate was 1%. And it's, I like to learn what you're doing because I, I've never heard that. Right. But there are different areas, so many different areas in revenue cycle. You know, the prior authorization, how long does that take? You know, the metrics are how long it takes, the delay, you know, what kind of uh, approval rates you get and so on and so forth. There are metrics for all of these areas, but it's pretty clear from um, industry studies that the kinds of return especially going from manual to automated, the first step can be sizable. Um, the hours free can be 30 to 40 to 50 percent. 
you know, mm -hmm. the the uh, ROIs can be in the same range or much higher. It was just incredible returns. And you kind of wonder, you know, with those kind of returns and the kind of time you're freeing up, you really are able to think about end-to-end -end automation. What are people supposed to be doing in the future? I think that's a real secret, I guess, to long-term benefits. So revenue cycle, we're seeing registration. I mentioned insurance benefits, verification, prior auth, coding, billing, even using machine learning to understand which payers are denying what what codes. Uh, very interesting. Denials management, fraud detection using machine learning, UOB and payment payment processing, AR financing, things like that. But in other areas, we're starting to see the organizations that are thinking at the C level are now starting to think about end-to-end uh, -end automation for the entire organization. Mm -hmm. That means linking things like revenue cycle, contact center, HR and finance. All of these are stalwarts for automation. But there have been some new areas like uh, physician credentialing, you know, telemedicine, supply chain, contract management, IT, even clinical research, uh, grant management, things like that. So I think it starts, many times it starts with revenue cycle and then with the demonstrated success, all of a sudden other business units want to get involved, and that's exciting. Yeah, I mean, I see definitely the linkage. What I get excited about because, you know, I've been working in the revenue cycle for over 30 years. And at one stage in my career, I did have the responsibility for contracting. Mm -hmm. And as we start to automate um, the business processes in the revenue cycle, for instance, claim statusing, and uh, like you said, denials management, there's a statistic out there that 70% of initial uh, rejections will get paid if you just simply resubmit it. Well, you can automate that. So then we can learn from that, right? We can say which payers are paying those games, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. then we can start feeding our contract management systems right. better information so that our contract management team is negotiating with better information. So that's kind of what excites me is that, you know, revenue cycle is this key to everything yeah. in the organization. Exactly. Um, yeah, and so it gets really exciting. I mean, you've talked about some of the risks. Um, you know, I, I really want to talk a little bit about what risks should leaders be aware of. I have a few that I want to talk about. Mm -hmm. You mentioned high trust. So I'm working with a couple clients and and getting them comfortable with um, sharing their data and going to automation because they're worried about data breaches. Sure. You know, I think deservedly so. I mean, I have several clients who have been attacked, had, have had cyber breaches, you know, how do you get them comfortable that RPA and automation is secure? Mm -hmm. Well, I think um, I think it helps to have a third party do that <laughs> because obviously every vendor is going to say we are HIPAA compliant, we are totally secure. It's not necessarily true. You need a third party, you need some objective evaluation, and you need to have the kind of architecture that you can uh, justifiably say that we actually reduce human touches of the PHI. We reduce human-based uh, breaches. Um, mm -hmm. We don't have to, have de depending on people, to manually remember their passwords. You know, they can be used right. biometrics and things like that. All these kind of things to sort of take it out of the area of uh, potential error and even uh, bad intentions into an area where that's protected and behind security. I think one of the interesting things about bots in general is that they, wherever you put a bot, it can actually enforce protocol or observe mm -hmm. what people are doing. And I think you have all those uh, digital assistants watching what's happening in the sensitive systems. You're going to get much earlier warning of things that are happening that shouldn't be happening. And I think, um, you know, of course, if you do the statistics, most most breaches are due to human error. Yes. But 
you know, a number of them can be detected and prevented. So I'm very hopeful for that. I think other kinds of risks, I mentioned the kinds of projects that people take on. Sometimes there's an urgent need to do a complex process. That's yeah. not always the best situation. It's always preferable to limit the size and the scope of the projects for simplicity, feasibility, you know, the investment, the fast, fast ROI and, and the metrics. But there are always exceptions. Some organization, organizations will jump in with both feet, but it takes careful planning and it certainly takes a little bit of experience and expertise. The other thing that's kind of risky is that we're seeing a lot of enterprise software build in uh, different automation capabilities. Mm -hmm. Even even Epic, you know, the EHR, many, many uh, organizations do that. And unfortunately, what we found is that these tend to be limited in capability and scope and interoperability. So the ability, we feel that the ability to automate should be extended like an infrastructure tool across the entire organization for maximum benefit. And we've also seen actually the switching later from a limited tool to an enterprise platform means you lose much of the work that you did right. <laughs> because they're not convertible. So it's kind of an interesting situation. I think we're in healthcare, we're still fairly early in automation, but I think as people learn, there will be a sort of a best practice path you know, towards implementation and, and measurement. I have two others that kind of hit my short list and I'll kind of just get your opinions if you see these as risks too. I think a lot of hospitals are being approached by their vendor partners mm. saying, we're we're implementing the automation so you don't need to worry about that i'm taking a different stance you know i always put on the lens of the provider i hate to say this i'd like to put some of these vendors out of business like you know yeah. these yeah. zero balance vendors or the extended business offices so i i think a, there's a risk of letting your vendor be the automation and then you don't yeah. benefit from it they do they're getting the roi do you agree with me that that could be a risk if people don't view automation as something that they should be bringing in their four walls? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that, I mean, I understand why some hospitals, you know, smaller hospitals and so on, might not want to handle a, a new mm -hmm. technology platform, uh, especially if they are short, again, on resources and people who can handle that platform and develop on it and so on and so forth. Um, that's why our our platform it strives to be as user-friendly as possible for business users. But in general, I think it would be risky to tie to tie into some of these vendors' business models where they have to develop everything and it costs a lot of money. In fact, that's that's causing them to turn to us and to people who don't do that because let's say you have a process that you're trying to figure out whether to automate. If you control the, the tool, you can actually explore. You can't do that with a vendor right. you're tied into. You have to pay for it. So everything has to be a bet. And and so the other thing is when you're developing um, your own capabilities and your own center of excellence, what you're actually doing is preparing your staff for a new kind of work. And so you're training people to not do things, but to manage digital assistants that do things. And that's a really valuable skill and a really important, it's an important addition to their CVs. You know? So I think that there's a lot of benefits to controlling and to owning that development capability that kind of ties into the last risk that I see is that we need to go in 
eyes wide open about those processes that we are automating and what is the population of our employees that are currently doing that work. I recently wrote an article about the importance of having that DEI lens when you're automating and not from the sense of incorporating biases into the automation. From a healthcare perspective, the majority of people who work in the revenue cycle are in a protected class. Mm -hmm. And we need to make sure that when we're going into this, that we fully understand that and that we have plans, that we understand the risk to our, our diversity, mm -hmm. equity, and inclusion initiatives, and that we you know, upskill our employees so that they can take on those value added. So to, mm -hmm. do you agree? Do you think that is also something that could be a mm -hmm. risk? If we don't do it properly, we could mm -hmm. be changing jobs that then change up the composition of our workforce? Right. So I think it takes a, a lot of thought, you know, when you're going on the larger scale and you know, we're thinking more strategically about where people go and what they should be doing to to um, make them the most uh, empowered as possible. But I agree with you. I think that. I think there is um, one of the issues is that right now automation is so new in healthcare. People are looking at automating revenue cycle like here's a pain point. We'll just automate right. that but they're not thinking about what is the best practice for this whole process. Correct. And I think that's that's really the hard work. And I mean, the, the first barrier we often encounter when you go in is, do they understand the process? And that's a simple question. Mm -hmm. And many times they really don't totally understand the process. There are different people do it differently. And, you know, somehow they have different error rates and they, and they get by. But when we go in and really, you know, uh, take the discipline to sit down and figure out what do they want, that's the hard work. It, the actual programming doesn't take that long. It's actually a process discovery. They find a process and they go, well, the second question is, is this what we want to automate? Right. Yeah. So I, I think it's exciting. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's exciting. exciting. And I agree with you is that um, automating the processes may not be the best decision without going through that, you know, redesign phase. We've mm -hmm. gone into client sites, you know, decades of, of transformation work from the traditional side of the house. I tell everybody, very rarely do I have an issue with your policies and procedures. Very mm -hmm. rarely do I have an issue with what the directors and managers mm -hmm. uh, think is going on. But when you sit there and you shadow the staff and you see how they do the work, you're, mm -hmm. you're start to go, oh my gosh, I have heart palpitations because <laughs> that, that there was a, there was a policy and we did not know that there was a workaround that right. <laughs> the staff have figured out. So we don't want to automate the workaround. We want to make sure that it is a best practice. Mm -hmm. um, I really have two more questions for this podcast. So how can organizations get started with adopting automation in the revenue cycle? What's that first step in your mind to beginning this journey? Mm -hmm. I think the first step is that um, discovery process. And number one is discovery. That means that we the vendor and the and the prospect meet and they understand each other and they try to understand each other. What are the pain points? What are the restrictions and constraints? What are the timelines and so on and so forth? Who needs the automation? What the goals are? And this can be very different depending on if it's a business unit or if it's IT or a center of excellence that already exists, depending on who you're talking to. And it often involves having to have a domain expert in that process be available. So that's one thing. The second thing is planning and the planning piece we want to have a mutually beneficial, mutually agreeable plan that meets goals and requirements in terms of looking at candidate processes, licensing investment, deliverables, timeframes, et cetera, and uh, even the amount of disruption that may cause in the organization. And this sometimes this involves a test pilot to more clearly define the potential issues or to show proof of value. 
And sometimes it also involves a partner. As you said, some organizations really love their partners and understandably, so they want to work with them. But in the beginning, when you're first learning to ride the bicycle, <laughs> you should probably ride the bicycle and not have somebody ride it for you. So right. the next step is setup. In that step, we look at obtaining a sponsor approval, governance setup, validating the organization's security requirements and so on and so forth. And that's when the issues come up like HIPAA, uh, cloud, PHI, and those kind of things, how our tools work and so on. And to the earlier point, we do have tools, for instance, that do discover automatically process uh, capabilities. So that's pretty exciting. Building automations and digital assistance is the next step. And it involves both, probably both IT and business users. Um, and actually we have now, I think over 1300 pre-built bots in our bot store that you can actually leverage pre-built automations like accessing Salesforce, you know, things like that. We even have a bot for Epic if you're an Epic customer. Uh, to access the Epic Fire API. And then finally, production. And the production piece is pretty standard. We test and validate the automations with the IT department, roll into production, document the ROI, you know, do the analytics, the auditing, and so on and so forth. Well, and, and I, I like that HFMA is starting to incorporate automation into its education because mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. that's another point is getting every leader at every aspect from supervisor on the way up to VPs educated mm -hmm. on what automation is, what it's capable of doing. Mm -hmm. and, and speaking of that, you know, the last question I have is what do you think the automation, the adoption of automation means, you know, for employees and for management and leadership? What do you think mm -hmm. this is, is going to do um, at each of those different levels? Yeah, it's interesting. I think that's a great question. We just did a, we just finished our second annual, uh, semi-annual survey on what people thought, vendor agnostic, you know, what people thought about automation. And based on that and on our own experience, I would say for employees, the main goal is to empower employees to do more, do it faster, more accurately, taking care of the e-paperwork so they can focus more on their human-only responsibilities. Uh, there have actually been studies done in employee satisfaction have shown that um, automated workplaces generate about 31% more productivity, and 63% of U.S. health workers feel that their job involves a lot of manual data entry and uh, analysis. So healthcare transformation doesn't just involve technology, but it involves a redefinition of healthcare roles based on technology and enablement so that work will become more meaningful, less tedious, and burnout will decrease, which is a big problem in healthcare. I think it always takes time. Everything takes time in healthcare, but I'm very hopeful that in the future that employees will want to be in healthcare because they can do what they had planned and trained to do and not to you know, deal with all kinds of administrative burden. So that's a, that's a very um, great potential benefit for managers. I think managers, mid-level managers, will need to be more comfortable with new job definitions. I think job KPIs will need to be based on higher value deliverables like patient satisfaction, care outcomes, reduction in medical errors, as opposed to how many claims did you process today or how many patients did you talk to today? Um, and that's often what we do, what they still use in clinics. I remember in the day, you know, when, when I was practicing in pediatrics, uh, it was how many patients can you see in a day, you know, and what is patient satisfaction level, those kind of things. So the manager, as I mentioned before, will supervise employees who are themselves managers and digital workers. It's a new kind of org chart. It's very, very interesting. And then finally for leaders, I think executive leadership has a strategic responsibility, of course. I think they should 
hopefully see the enterprise automation platform as a fundamental core component of their technology stack and as an essential enabler of digital transformation. I think automation sort of, my, my sense that it binds disparate systems together so that healthcare organizations can perform holistically at the highest level in terms of strategic goals and requirements. And finally, do so in a way that proves value. I think everybody wants that measurement today, but I think that's a key part of it as well. Yeah, I think the organizational change component, everything that you're talking about with employees mm -hmm. and mid-level managers and leadership is very important to success. You know, I, I, the employees, I think we have to be super transparent with what we're doing, working mm -hmm. with one client where we actually encourage them and they're doing this to build into their line level incentive plan, identification mm -hmm. of automation opportunities. Like let's, right, let's right. get employees involved in this and let's get some excitement about it. So um, you know, there's there's risk if you don't do the organizational change right, and then mm -hmm. there's high rewards if you do it. But I, I agree. I think everybody will be happier at the end of the journey, but it will be bumpy. I mean, I, yeah. I tell everybody, I don't yeah. think you should go into this thinking that it's going to be this ridiculously smooth transition um, because you're going to find out we've been doing things probably mm -hmm. incorrectly a couple steps along the way, and we have to make a few tweaks here and a few tweaks right. there, but right. it's very exciting. Well, I'm going to pause there because I know we've had a lot of questions and hopefully everything was uh, valuable to people who participated in the podcast. So Adam, I'm just going to turn it back over to you. Thank you, Valerie. And excellent work as always facilitating a very important topic that is even more so relevant this year than ever. Dr. Chow, we were so lucky to have you take some time to educate our listeners on the importance of AI and RPA, and also most important, educating us on how to think about our AI and RPA strategy in a more strategic manner versus a piecemeal manner. So thank you again, both of you, for taking time to address a very important topic, making lots of headlines in healthcare news today. I hope our Georgia HFMA listeners enjoyed today's episode. Be sure to tune into our next episode coming soon. Make sure to subscribe so you can be notified of the next episode launch. Stay healthy and talk soon.